You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're kicking off our Summer of 88 Retrospective Series, where once a month we take a look back at a film released during the summer of 1988. And tonight's film is Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. You no trouble. Me, Fifth You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day... You are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Ah, yes. I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit. Oh, your money. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. God is dead. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, yes. The mayor, real wrath of God type stuff. Dead fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian Elkins. With me here tonight, the ghost with the most, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up, people? Ready to talk some Beetlejuice, man. Some Beetlejuice. <laughs> That's right. We're also kicking off our first, uh, well, the first for this year. Our, we do it every year. Our summer of 88. Well, we don't do the summer of 88 every year, but we do a summer retrospective no. series every year where we go back 30 years and take a look at four movies released over that summer. And we're, we picked Beetlejuice. We're kind of cheating because it was released in April of 88. <laughs> so we're cheating. You know, it was it was one of those movies, man, where there's no way we could pass it up. So we, 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 we may have made an exception for Beetlejuice in this case. So. Now, I, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are very familiar with this movie. This was a big uh, yeah. box office hit. But before we get into talking about the movie... Like we do, we like to do a little bit of setup and talk a little bit about the history of the film. Yes. And uh, apparently uh, Beetlejuice did not start off as the kid-friendly ghost with the most that we know now. Started off weird. Yeah, it was a much, yeah, much darker film with Middle Eastern midgets with bat wings. Okay, it is it is confusing. So Beetlejuice was originally in the script supposed to be a, a winged back when he's supposed to be scary. And then when he's talking to the characters. Now, every description I saw of the script, because I didn't actually read the first draft. I didn't, I didn't have time or anything. You're right. They they kept saying like a tiny Middle Eastern man. I kept wondering, are they meaning, do they mean like a dwarf, like a fantasy character? Or are they talking about like a little, like a actual, like a miniaturized person? Like a, somebody that's a foot tall. Like fucking Tom Thumb. <laughs> No, like I mean, like 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 somebody that got like shrunk <laughs> by a, a shrunk a shrink ray or something, you know? <laughs> no. Honey, I, uh, honey, I shrunk the Middle Eastern man. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, you know what? It sounds like that we're already writing a sequel right now. Because I mean, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out this yeah. year. I mean, look, this writes itself. 
<laughs> totally does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it was it was a it was a really weird movie. And once Tim Burton got involved, they went back, they hired two different writers, and they rewrote the script. The original writer was that Malcolm McDowell. My, no, I'm sorry. It's not Michael. No. <laughs> that's a name from Clockwork Orange. It, it, it's Michael McDowell. Sorry, Malcolm McDowell. Uh, a little bit of ultraviolence there for you. Oh, my goodness. What is going on tonight? But, yeah, okay. So this guy's the original writer. Then two people come in, and they added the afterlife stuff. Um with like the whole netherworld and the bureaucracy and the, the you know the government jokes, and they they made it lighthearted. They took out a lot of the uh, you know Middle Eastern and, and winged bat creatures and things like that, and made it more kid friendly. How much more kid friendly? I mean, I guess considering the original script, yeah, it was a hell of a lot more kid friendly. Um, <laughs> okay, it was as kid friendly as this movie is going to be. You got a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's as kid friendly as the what we got is going to get. I had often wondered if Tim Burton was was one of the influences that kind of switched this over to a kiddie film. I had wondered if Tim Burton was the one, because Tim Burton had just come off of doing the Pee-wee Herman movie. Oh, yeah, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Have you seen that, by the way? I've seen it, but it's been a long time. Well, it's not really been that long. It's been probably about four years since I've seen it. And, you know, watching it as a child... It wasn't that bad, but now when I watch it, I just kind of get weirded out about this movie. Dude, it is super creepy. Pee Wee Herman comes off like a total like child molesting son of a bitch. It is weird, man child. Um, It 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 is off putting. (laughs) I was showing it to my my youngest kid, and he was watching it. He's five. He looked at it. He was just like, "Yeah, that guy's weird," and just walked out of the room. Yes. See, when you when you show up have a five year old say that, hey, I get a creepy vibe from this dude, and I don't know why you're making me watch this, Dad, but uh, sorry, you're going solo on this one, buddy. Dad, you told me not to take candy from strangers. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, and dude, Pee Wee's Playhouse or Pee Wee's Funhouse. I don't remember the exact name of the show. That was a, that was a really weird show. Man, I don't really remember much of that on. show really really fucking strange yeah the man child like how that communicates and and how it's portrayed is it is it's bizarre it and it's it's kind of off-putting now watching it i don't i don't again like i don't really remember what it was like watching it as a child but i know i did because i remember that giant like foil ball that he bust out and put piece puts a piece of foil on and i remember the little blue chair that talks but and the, and the word of the day <laughs> See, I, I don't i don't even remember that Oh, wait, yeah, dude, because yeah. they'd all scream, right? They'd all go like, yeah. or whatever, yeah. fucking Pee Wee Herman. I mean, really. needless to say, for anybody that has not seen this show, it's like being inside of a schizophrenic man-child on LSD. And it's, it's a weird movie for Burton's first film, because, I mean, really outside of, like, the character kind of being bizarre, the look of it and just everything else, it does yeah. not feel like a Tim Burton movie. No, 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 no. Yeah, and he's definitely established, a, a, you know, a very specific look and tone. Well, okay, I, I say that, but I, I would say it's like from Beetlejuice to Sleepy Hollow. He's got a very yeah. specific, well, maybe the Big Fish, you know, I mean, or even maybe yeah. even the Sweeney yeah. Todd. Like, there's there's a very certain, like, that's Tim Burton. You know, you know what you're getting. Yeah. We don't. Like- I would say Sweeney Todd was probably the last movie Burton did where it actually really look, looked like a Tim Burton film. Well, yeah, it's got his, you know, gothic macabre sensibilities and it's got that style it's got that hammer look to it 
Yeah, that that German expressionalism aesthetic. Tim Burton's somebody that, especially when I was going to film school at the late 90s, early aughts, Tim Burton was somebody that you could point to as a very easy, clear example of the auteur theory. And the auteur Mm -hmm. theory is just, you know, you can pick a director out or an artist out by their work. Their look and their material that they're going to are familiar, and you can recognize them. Uh, And, of course, Tim Burton... You know, he's very easy to recognize for anybody. Like, I mean, you know, people that are film buffs, they're like, oh, yeah, that looks like Tim Burton or that's Tim Burton-esque. Believe it or not, when I first when I saw the first Adams Family movie, I actually thought Tim, that Tim Burton directed that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, because it looks like a Tim Burton film. And then later on, I found out, oh, Tim Burton did not direct this movie. No, that was Barry uh, Barry Seinfeld, the guy did, uh, yeah, Adam's family and uh, Men in Black. Uh, he he's also got that. Um, I, I mean, it's similar, but his production design doesn't go anywhere over the top like Tim's does. But his cinematography does have that, like you know, the very nice black. The like the blacks are crushed. You know, they're very good and inky. Yeah, and it's, it still has those kind of like macabre and gothic and darker, you know, overtones and stuff. So yeah, mixed in uh, with that bizarre sense of humor, like both those guys. Yeah, Barry and Tim both are. They have a, a weird sense of humor about their films. It's it's like a whimsical, you know, like Guillermo del Toro almost has it a little bit. He definitely does. Oh, and speaking of speaking of Guillermo del Toro, I know this is kind of a way off topic, but. Uh, I just want to let it be known, man. I am really excited about the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark that he's working on. You know, if if he's directing it, I'll be really excited. If he's not directing it, you know, I, yeah, it depends yeah. on who they get to do it, I guess is what I'm saying. I would almost really like them to to break it up if they're going to do it like in short stories. I almost like them to break it up and give like a, a good horror director each one. Well, imagine if you got t- actually got Tim Burton to come in and direct one. I was thinking more of like, you know, Guillermo del Toro and like John Carpenter, maybe getting Cronenberg in to do one. And Oh, oh you're talking about actual, you know, like like horror, horror directors. Yeah, let, let's let's bring in like the real masters of horror here. Let's 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 get these guys in. Although, you know, Tim Burton, I could see that working because, you know, the scary stories to tell in the dark. Those are more aimed at children and more fairy tale horror stories. As far as I know, Tim Burton is only only actually done two R-rated movies. Uh, well, I, I, the only ones I can think of that are R-rated are the horror Sleepy ones. Hollow and Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I don't know if like I don't know if Big Fish is rated R. You know, it's been a nope. while since I've seen that. I can tell you right now, Big Fish is is not rated R. Yeah, but I mean, most of his movies though don't really require gore. You know, just no, because, they don't because the tone would be wrong. Like, where would you add gore in you know Edward Scissorhands? Like, that would be really misplaced yeah. and not fit in with the tone of the movie. And, like, even Beetlejuice, yeah. I mean, this movie has got scary makeup effects and stuff. But, like, if you added, like, really horrendous gore in this, it just it wouldn't fit tone-wise. No, 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 it wouldn't at all. You know, the reason why the gore works so well for movies like Sleep, a movie like Sleepy Hollow and Sweeney Todd is because of what the actual original story and the original subject matter is based off of. Well, I would say for Sleepy Hollow, they're they're using the blood as a joke because Johnny Depp like yeah. faints every time he sees, it. <laughs> and he's supposed to be and like the that, badass hero. Well, next to next to Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> that is the reddest blood I think I've ever seen in a, on a, in a film. But it looks good though, man. That blood looks really good. 
I like, it does. I, like, it does. I, like, I mean, it's very theatrical. I get what you're saying. But in that kind of film where everything is so theatrical and everything's so stylized, I like the blood looking that way. Like, it, you know, if it looks yeah. too real, then... It takes away from it, yeah. Well, he's always got the, the you know, kind of get the vibe from Tim Burton movies that he really doesn't ever take anything extraordinarily serious. And, like, even in Sweeney Todd, there are moments where... You still get that, that Tim Burton-esque quirk to it. You know, like we were just talking, once you see a Tim Burton film, you know that's a Tim Burton film. Except for B- Big Top. Or, no, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, you know, okay. Oh. Uh, I don't know, man. Some of, the, some of the CGI stuff he did a little bit later, like Alice in Wonderland and like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, to me that's like um, kind of how Tim Burton evolved. I did not really care for either one of those movies. Well, you know how directors kind of have, they get the, they get the middle point of their career and they, they kind of switch and you know, it's, it's growth, you know, like they're learning more things and they, they want to go in different directions and explore new ideas. Um, yeah. And you know, you see Spielberg do it. Like he's got his old eighties careers where he's doing these big blockbusters and now he's kind of settling in for more serious biopics and things like that. Now and he's more character, more focused on character driven stories. But it's like, you know, Tim Burton, I, I feel like his content is is pretty much the same, but his visual look has shifted very drastically, and I do think it's the um, I think it's the introduction of CG specifically. Like if you go back and look at his movies with practical effects, they all have a certain look and style to them. And then when he switches over to CG, he does film things differently. Dude, I, I prefer his practical effects over the CGI. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean, his like, I think his earlier that dude, that dude, ones. he has a a, a a natural eye working with practical effects. I don't. It's either he hasn't really got comfortable enough yet with the CGI. I don't think it's a comfort thing. I think he's doing things differently because he can do them differently. Because now he's able yeah. to move things and restrictions that he would have to fight before. He no longer has to fight them. Yeah, that's true. You know, so I mean, I mean, I guess we're bringing it up to point it out because I mean, you know, your tools do change, and his films changed when his tools changed. I, I mean, you know, yeah. you you can see it. Yeah, you can. I mean, not not saying that you know I'm talking trash on on Burton or anything. It's just I like the movie. I prefer his movies with the pra- with practical effects. I think the practical effects just work better for Tim Burton, like. If you're if yeah. Tim Burton's making a Tim Burton movie, like practical effects just suit him better. Because if you look at the films he's making, um, like you look at Ed Wood, you look at you know Ed, Edward Scissorhands, right? We're talking about Beetlejuice here. Um, you can even throw the Batman movies in here a little bit, but they all have like these B movie silly ideas about them. His effects work, it's reflecting that as well. Like you look at Mars Attacks, it fits that that 50s uh, alien invasion you know shitty this island earth movie that you're making fun of yeah and mars attacks you know to me that was that was like a perfect movie for tim burton to do that style of movie falls right in line with what he's best at dude mars attacks is an underrated gym it's got a fucking buttload yes. of problems it's a mess of a movie but man it is fun and it is underrated Yes. And I mean, personally, my favorite Burton film would be Ed Wood. Yeah, I mean, mine's either Ed Wood or Edward Scissorhands. Those are both great. So, Paul, are you familiar with the the animated series that this uh, movie spawned? Yes, I am. I am. I used to, as as a kid, I would watch uh, 
Beetlejuice on ABC on Saturday mornings. Oh, is that what it came on ABC? <laughs> yep. And I actually do own the uh, Beetlejuice complete series. Actually, to be honest with you, dude, the show the show isn't that bad. It's just kind of weird because the show primarily focuses on the adventures of Lydia and Beetlejuice. Yeah, I remember that, and that's why I didn't like it because it's that's not what the movie's about. <laughs> and I, I saw this movie way before I saw the cartoon. It was always like, yeah, it's like, but bullshit. This is bullshit. Those two weren't friends. They fucking hated each other. He was trying to marry her at the end. What the fuck is going on? The show kind of doesn't make any sense. And to be honest with you, it was just a shameless ploy to make money and exploit the movie for a fucking animated series. I did have the Beetlejuice toys, though. Now, I did, too. I had, I had the, a few of those. Yeah, the one with the carousel head, and I, I had the little grave that you could put Beetlejuice in the grave, and then you close it, and you open it back up, and he'd be like a little miniaturized Beetlejuice. I had... Barbara and Adam. Paul, why? And they were. Why, was, why would you pick? Those are the worst characters. That's like saying, "Yeah, I had, I had He-Man figures. I had uh, man, Master of Arms." You can't. <laughs> you can't pick what somebody gives you for Christmas and birthdays and shit. You didn't give me I a mean, Ninja Turtle. What you gave me was the damn. robot that looked like the Ninja Turtle. That's a that's a no, Ninja I, robot turtle. That's not a Ninja I, Turtle motherfucker. I had the. Uh, Barbara like opens her head up real wide and sticks her like her eyes through her mouth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they do the, the yeah, crazy creature one. faces later in the movie or midpoint in the movie. Yeah, when you would squeeze the legs together, the eyes would like kind of pop out of her mouth. Uh, yeah, no, I never yeah. never had that one. Beetlejuice was the only one I ever had because, quite honestly, as a kid, I did not give a fuck about any of these other characters in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I remember being a little disappointed on my birthday when. I got fucking Barbara or Adam. <laughs> I was like, damn it, I want Beetlejuice. Damn it, I don't yeah. want Alec Baldwin. Like, Fuck you, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, fucking Alec Baldwin instead of Michael Keaton. But Gina damn Davis, it. Gina Davis, I'll keep you. Alec Baldwin, you're going to the trash. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, you know what, man? Let, let's talk about their chemistry. Alec Baldwin and uh, Gina Davis, they, they play the two leads in the movie, the married couple, the Maitlands. Barbara and Adam, man, I thought they were spectacular in the film. Both Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. Gina Davis is uh, is a fucking awesome actress, man. Yeah, she won an Academy um, Award uh, for Best Supporting Actress this year for uh, the same year for um, what was the movie? Accidental Tourist that Lawrence yep, Kasdan. Accidental Tourist, and you know Gina Davis was in in the remake of The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah, uh, which there was an entire episode that we did about that. You know, when her career kind of slowed up a little bit towards the mid-90s, she did a long kiss goodnight. And, dude, I still fucking like that movie. I still think that's a badass movie. Yeah, man, she kind of, like, disappeared. Like, after she split up with uh, that director, Rennie Harlem, after they did, like, yeah. Cutthroat Island, and what else did they do together? They did Long Kiss Goodnight. Maybe those were the only two movies. Maybe, maybe they did a third. And then, yeah, they, they broke up, and she's just kind of, like, she fell out of it for a little bit and ended up back on TV. Yeah. Which is a shame because um, she's such a great actress. I mean, she's so she, good, man. She is a good actress. Like, she can do she, comedy she really and is. drama and pull it both off, like, spectacularly. Yeah, she goes She goes from doing uh, The Fly. Where she's crying all Beetlejuice. the fucking time. Yeah, to freaking Beetlejuice. Where she's like a sweet Midwestern woman. Oh, I guess she's not Midwestern. She's from Connecticut. <laughs> 
Yeah, Northeastern. Northeastern. <laughs> Whatever. I would actually uh, like to see her do another a long kiss, a, a sequel to Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could see that. I mean, come on, dude. There was supposed to be a fucking sequel to Beetlejuice. It was Beetlejuice Goes to Hawaii. Who the hell wants to see that dog shit? Oh, my God. That does sound – well, you know, it sounds bad. Like when you hear Kevin Smith make fun of it, do, do we really have more to say that wasn't said in the first Beetlejuice? And do we need to go tropical? Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, he's got a point, but they – I don't know. You, you kind of sit back and, and think about – or when this movie was supposed to come out was like, you know, two or three, maybe four to five years after Beetlejuice at the tops. They're going to all be in the same age range, you know, in life, not 30 years later. And I can see the idea of like surfer beach imagery versus German expressionalism. I could see those two things working together in a, in a comedic fashion. Yeah. In my opinion, the smarter way to go with this would have been like make Beetlejuice the good guy. Well, yeah, no, yeah. what? No, because that would destroy Beetlejuice. Just make another movie. No, but, but see, the whole thing is, man, you got to have something that's worse than Beetlejuice come along. What do I know? I don't get paid the big bucks. Um, but speaking of Beetlejuice, let's talk about Michael Keaton. Man, 17, 18 minutes he's in this movie. Yeah, for saying that, uh, you know, he was kind of one of the top billing for this movie. He's a title he character. Get a lot of- yeah, didn't didn't get a didn't get a shitload of screen time. But man, he owns every single scene he's in, and you remember, even though he's he's got probably the least amount of screen time of of any of the leads or supporting actors, you remember him more. He really gives the movie like a. I just like I don't want to keep saying energy, but it's just this boost of energy, man. It's so much just excitement and passion when he comes on screen, and. Also, by taking the role of Beetlejuice, which, from what I read, Michael Keaton was very apprehensive about doing this movie. By taking this role in Beetlejuice, it got him not one, two roles as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I don't know. That that was kind of twofold because, like, when the when Batman was was announced and he he was cast, and that came out, everyone was like, "Wait a minute." The guy that played Beetlejuice, the guy that's a night shift yeah. and gung ho, the comedic actor, Mister yep. Mom. What? Yep, Mister Mom. So it, that did kind of also bite him in the ass when he got cast as as Batman. But you know, whatever. Look how that turned out. Everything was okay. Same way with Heath Ledger. When you hear somebody being cast and you're thinking about it in your mind, you're thinking about that person in other roles that you've seen. You're not thinking yeah. about that person as that character. You haven't seen. Yeah, him you're in not that thinking makeup. about. Yeah, you're not thinking about the potential that the person has or could bring to the table by playing this role. Like I said, man, I think I've said it on this podcast before. We all kind of got fooled about, about Heath Ledger, dude. Cause I remember when I heard that Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker, I was like, are you serious? The fucking dude from 10 things I hate about you. The dude from a night's tale. A lot of people have problems with though, is that when they're thinking of these other actors, they're only thinking of either other roles or, you know, things they've already done as opposed to thinking that these are fucking actors. If they can't come in and become that person, why the fuck are they doing it? Like, you're not doing your job. Find something else to do with your life. And I know you're not the hugest fan of this movie. I mean, I mean, multiplicity, dude. I still love that movie. I think the movie is freaking hilarious. You know what's really weird is when you go back and you watch movies like Something About Mary or Multiplicity – and they're making all those Down syndrome jo- jokes, dude. And they just 
they look so bad and you want to hide and feel embarrassed for the film a little bit. Yeah, you kind of get it, it, that shit's kind of cringy. <laughs> like, dude, even, even like, even Forrest Gump, like, everyone's like, yeah, Forrest Gump, that one best picture. And, you know, it's like, oh, we gave that best picture. Should we have done that? I don't, I don't know, guys. Like, looking back on it, that doesn't look the best. <laughs> and everybody loves Forrest Gump, but. Oh, so what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? People with mental, mental handicaps can't overcome that? No, they're going to do great things. No, but the movie goes out of its way to make fun of a person that is not as smart as you, you know, and they're they're making fun yeah. of that, and it's uh, I don't know, it's kind of bad, man. With you, I'm with you, you know, because I mean, everybody like pretty much that meets Forrest Gump is like, are you stupid or something? Man, you just stiff like, in shit. It happens. What shit? What? Sometimes, <laughs> and it's. it's Sometimes. <laughs> That man made a lot of money off that bumper sticker. I don't know. Not that, like, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not going around judging everything. Like, you know, these movies, they were made at a time when they were made in. What are you going to do? At the same time, looking at them now and watching them now, some of them don't, don't look the best. <laughs> you, just, you just look yeah. at them and you're like, eh, I guess we were kind of ignorant then. Eh, 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 what are you going to do? We were stupid. <laughs> I guess the only other uh, cast member that we... Should should really note of I mean okay outside of the parents Catherine O'Hara Jeffrey Jones they are really good in the movie yes yes Catherine O'Hara man she uh I wish she could give I wish she would have gotten better roles because I really see I really thought she had a lot of potential potential as a as a to become a really great actress but she gets Beetlejuice and then the fucking Home Alone movies oh no man she did all those Christopher Guest comedies dude. No, I'm talking about like when it comes to like you know like dramas, like more serious movies. She's not really known for her serious mm. work, though. I guess uh, the only thing I can even think of, no, but I mean, I, where she played in a drama was Wyatt Earp. Man, uh, like everything yeah, else, I think of everything else is is like a comedic performance of some kind. Her role in Wyatt Earp was spot on too. She did a damn good job in that movie. Yeah, all she did was bitch at Kevin Costner. <laughs> That's why I love her. That's why I love her so much in that movie. Kevin Costner, you're terrible to women. Kevin Costner's just like, I don't give a shit. This is the old West. I don't care. You do what a man says. I don't give a, keep running your mouth. I'm gonna pull a Vincent Price on your ass. Uh, Renona Wilder's also in the cast. Uh, Winona, uh, she was. I guess she was in Heather's after this. Uh, this is yeah, the first she movie she actually did. I ever saw yeah, her. She in did Heather's. Did Heather's the same year that she did this. Uh, I think Heather's is actually uh, was was a year after. I mean, it's it's like yeah, it's not that far apart. Well, I don't know. It may be a year apart, but that was uh, that was eighty nine, and that also has um, the guy plays Ortho. He's also the preacher in Heather's, (laughs) which is kind of like one of those crazy Uh, things. Glenn Glenn Siget. Yeah, I I forget. Yeah, I forget the actor's name, but because you know, man, I really haven't seen I hadn't seen him in much outside of Beetlejuice. And Heather's. Apparently, he he had like leg or, or back problems, and uh, he had some kind of medical condition that halted his acting career. Oh, really? And yeah, he ended up doing a lot of um a lot of like voiceovers. Unfortunately, in 2010, he passed away. No, that's a shame. Yeah, he, he's a good actor. I would probably say like you know of of the the supporting cast. I think he definitely stands out. He was openly gay. He grew up in the South. 
and his parents were apparently really Christian. So they sent him to one of those straight camps where he received electroshock therapy to cure him of his homosexuality. That's disgusting. Which that is that is fucked in so many ways. I don't even know where to begin. Can you imagine, like, just being like, "Hey, guys, we don't want you to ever look at women again." Like, you imagine like a hetero camp like that? Like, oh my god, yeah, like, it, it would be impossible. Like, you imagine like how horny teenagers shock, are. <laughs> we're gonna shock the straight out you, boy. It's just like what? What? what I, guys, that's never gonna work. That's so stupid, and not not to mention like how just fucking immoral and horrible it is but you know it's really fucked up because you're not it's not some mental disorder that they they have that you know that you could use freaking shock therapy on it's like at this point in time well you shouldn't even use even if you have a mental disorder you don't use shock therapy yeah yeah, 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 we know that yeah we know that shit don't work we talked about that in law it's anyway all of this is all but, terrible don't do any of this no straight camps yes, no shock yeah, therapy it's all terrible let, let people I mean, be who they are know, live and let live come on <laughs> well paul now that we've uh officially brought this to just depressing levels uh i feel like we, we now we need just to call out uh jeffrey jones as being like the only pedophile that i know of or child pornographer that i know of that we've we've talked about on the show yeah which is creepy as shit. Not not convicted yes, once, very. not twice, but three times, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Grand total of three times. What uh, a scumbag. Yeah. Uh, obviously, his career has uh, taken a you know, nosedive off the cliff for obvious reasons. I mean, don't get me wrong. Winona Ryder, excuse me, got into some trouble, but... But she was fucking hers shoplifting. Was just, yeah, hers was hers was just petty theft. I mean, look, that she chick needed to, some, she needed some adrenaline in her life. All right, that's what she needed. She needed to like. She was like, "Look, I'm looking for a thrill, but I don't want to get on drugs. What do I do? Get a little rush when I steal something." And she probably started with some candy bars, man, at the Seven Eleven. And the next thing she knows, she's stealing. Yeah. What would she get caught stealing? Perfume, or I, I swear, I think it was perfume, man. Perfume. Or a fucking handbag or some shit like that. Uh, she got caught stealing. Yeah, like, and, uh, that's like a whatever, you know? Like, I, I don't even give a mean, fuck can, about that. But you can come back from that, dude. I mean... Of course you can. Like, who the fuck hasn't stolen something in their life from a store? Like, I mean, everybody's done that. Like, you do that. Most people do that when they're kids. Like, apparently she just needed to wait till she was, like, 40 to learn that lesson. And, I mean, solicitation, you know, solicitation of a minor. That's different. That's night and day, man. <laughs> That's weird. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Winona Ryder is, is she actually, you know, she was like, look, look I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. I apologize. And, and she tried to write what she did wrong. And then, you know, she kind of went on, went on with her career. Man, who cares? That. She stole some shit. Like, who, who the fuck gives a fuck about that? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, who cares? Like, people blow up over stupid shit. Like, the internet broke because Tom Cruise one time danced on a fucking Oprah's couch. Fucking can't. obviously Tom Cruise is crazy motherfuckers. Look at his skin. No one should look at like that like that young at the age of fucking fifty. He found the fountain of youth. Obviously, he's a member of some cult. So I told you. <laughs> no, I wasn't going there. Damn it. I'm going there. I meant okay. like he was wish- worshiping the sun god or some cult. shit. I was making a joke. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be fucking worshiping Cthulhu and shit. Damn it. Fuck. 
I forgot so he was I a member. I forgot he was a member of Scientology. I was just trying to make a point. He was. Everybody knew Tom Cruise was crazy as shit when he went up on there on the Oprah jumping on the damn couch. All actors are a little crazy. You got to be a little crazy to want to be the center of attention in a room full of people. Very much so. That's why we pay him yes. money to do that crazy shit and to say lines that somebody wrote in front of us because they can do it well. They have charisma. Mostly we should note that uh, Bo Welch did the production design, who's actually married yes. to Catherine O'Hara. Didn't they meet on the set for Beetlejuice? Yes, they did. Um, and then, of course, the music was done by Danny Elfman. And, man, Danny Elfman and Tim Burton, that's one of the biggest collaborations in Hollywood. I don't think there is a Tim Burton movie that Danny Elfman has not scored. Ed Wood. To my knowledge. Ed Wood's the only one? No, uh, Ed Wood, um, Sweeney Todd, and... Uh, Man, whatever that last one is with Evergreen that came out, I did not see that. Okay, but Sweeney Todd was already a musical, so yeah. That's still not bad, dude. Out of all the three out of all of Tim Burton's movies, I mean, yeah, I would say they have a pretty tight knit relationship. I really love his style and I I love the way he approaches the music that he creates for the films that he works on. He did the man definitely has a resume. Yeah. Batman and the Simpsons will probably be I think the things that he'll always be closely associated with, or the most closely associated with. Tell us from, tell us from the crypt, too. Hey, yeah, but I mean, dude, everybody knows Batman and the Simpsons. You hear those themes. Yeah. I, I would yeah. say that like nine out of ten people would be like, oh, I know what that's from. That's from the Simpsons. Oh, that's Batman, you know. All right, guys. So I think we're going we're gonna to take a break here. We're, we're at that point in the show. We're going to play the trailer for Beetlejuice. And when we come back, we're going to get into a spoiler-filled discussion from the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice! Who's no ordinary ghost. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. (laughs) But the fun has just begun. It's showtime. Learn to throw your voice, fool your friends, fun and party. Not bad. amazing. Want a cigarette? Oh, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, here I come, baby. He's guaranteed to put some life attention, keyboard shoppers, in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. All right, welcome back. That was the trailer for Beetlejuice, the laughter and the hereafter. Uh, we got to mention the Kickstarter. There's a Kickstarter um, for the Beetlejuice documentary that these guys, these filmmakers are putting together. It's going to be a huge, I think it's supposed to be like a, a feature-length doc on the making of Beetlejuice. Yes. They have some cool uh, behind-the-scenes footage, like how they made the puppets and things like that. Dude, some of that is is really cool, and they already have, they have like some trailers up on YouTube. You can go check those out. We'll put it in the show notes if you guys want to go and donate money um, to that. You get some cool perks if you're a big Beetlejuice fan. We'll put that in the show notes if that's something you're interested in. 
You should definitely. Oh check yes. That out. I wish that was they yes. actually had that out when we before we were recording this. The the DVD and current Blu-ray that are out, um, really all the special features you get on those are trailers and three episodes of the Beetlejuice cartoon. So a bunch so of shit you don't, you don't want. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you don't get you don't get like behind the scenes interviews. You don't get featurettes. You don't get deleted scenes. You don't get any of this stuff. You don't get you a really boring. Tim Burton commentary to put you to sleep. Too. Yeah, which honestly, dude, I would love to hear a Tim Burton commentary on this fucking movie. Oh man, dude, look, he's got to be. If Tim Burton is is on a commentary track by himself, it man, it puts me to sleep. It is, it is literally some of the most boring shit ever. I mean, the guy's smart. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from anything he's saying. It's just as a presenter, like he's got this monotone voice. And it just, yes. oh man, it puts me lulls, it low. It kind of lulls you to sleep. <laughs> yes. I mean, no, you know, I love Tim Burton. Yeah. No disrespect work, man. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. This is the movie's 30th anniversary, obviously, because, you know, we're yes. doing the summer of 88 retrospective series here. So, you know, maybe they'll put something out later this year, but I mean, the movie already had its 30th anniversary. So they missed that. I thought for sure they'd put yeah. something out on disc, but nope. <laughs> All right, so Beetlejuice, nope. when's the first time you've seen this movie, Paul? 80, late 88, early 89. So like when you were um, a kid. I, yeah, I, I did not go and see this in the theater, but I remember begging my mom to let me rent it from the video store. I saw this in theaters. My mom actually took me to go see this. I don't know why. I guess we were just bored. Um, and, and she took me to it because I don't remember seeing a trailer for it or any of the marketing materials until we went to go see the movie. I remember seeing the poster and thinking like, Oh, Hey, I get, this movie may be pretty cool. And I, I do remember liking it as a kid and I I've enjoyed it as an adult too. There's, there is some subtle humor here. Not, not a lot. Most of it's very slapstick or in your face or, or you know, kind of crude, but yeah, I mean, this subtle stuff, like I, I like the netherworld area. I think that comedy works. You know, once again, like you said, it is it is a bit slapsticky, but at, at the same time, it's it's worked into everything else in the, the film so well that you either notice it and don't care because it's it's enjoyable, or you just don't notice it at all. So let's let's go into it. Um, I, I do want to st- stop and and just before we even get into the story, just the opening credits of this film. I man, I really dig it. I like the music. I like the font. And I like the overhead of the, of the model town. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I, I can swear, man, that 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 first the first two shots you get of the town are actually of a town. They're they're not a model. When it switches over to like the third shot, that's when you start getting the model. No, the okay. So there's three shots total that they use. There's the first one with the wide, and it it starts with the trees. And then it goes yeah. into the in the town. I'm pretty sure that's a model shot, just because mm-hmm. of how the camera is is moving, and they they go out of the way to not show you the skyline. Yeah, like the top of the frame, it, it kind of ends on like a, a hill, like and the town is kind of yeah. sitting kind of in a valley. Um, yeah, but, and the cam- camera's kind of at a downward angle too, where it's like you were saying, you don't see the you don't see the skyline or the horizon or anything. It's just kind of focus at a downward angle onto this town the second shot you can clearly see they go by a person and you can see it's a figurine and not an actual person movie. yeah 
what they did like there was like when they went to the third shot where you see the spider coming up uh, over the edge of the house and you 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 know you see for sure it's a model. Yeah. Uh, on that shot, they actually change the lighting. They kill the fill light, so you're just getting the key and you can see the harsh shadows from the shrubs and the trees on that shot. But if you look at the, the yep. previous two shots before, where like you're saying, like you think it's a town, they have a nice fill in there, but you're still getting a shadow, but you're also getting a light that comes in to to lessen the impact of the shadows on the on the like whatever the ground or the road of the model. Yeah. The first time you see it, it's like yes, this is a helicopter shot. Oh no, it's really a model. Yeah. So it's kind of that's a little bit of a, a kind of trick of the eye. I guess, but it, it's you could say. it's good. Like you know, just using like a little different lighting cue on a model, it helps. And they, they may have also used in the the very last shot of the sequence, they may have used a different model there too, because the grass does look a little different. When um, Alec Baldwin's character Adam goes to put the spider outside, like dude, I love that shot. Like, I think that is a beautiful shot right there, where you get. I think they it shows like part of the church, and then you get like the hillside and all of that. I think that's, that's just beautifully shot. Man, it's 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 a great introduction for our two characters. You get Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, and we were talking about their chemistry earlier. Man, you see it right here in the in the beginning scenes. With they're just they're two people that are actually in love. Yeah, they they're actually you know you and you can tell. I have read you know that Alec Baldwin and and I don't know how true it is that Gina Davis really didn't get along on that great. Really? I, I See, I haven't read anything about that. But that's crazy yeah, because it. you can't tell in the movie at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can't tell. I'm not saying that they were, like, at each other's throats, like they hated each other. But, like, they, from what I was reading, and once again, I don't know how 100% true this is, that they, they did have some disagreements and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes disagreements are good. Like, that's how, you know, sometimes that's how you make things better, you know, but like pushing somebody – to think about something differently or to get them to, to see something that they didn't see before, you know, and, and people call them arguments and it's just like, no, this is a passionate discussion. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like yeah. to call them yeah. because, you know, it's like it, if we're having this argument, it's because we both really care about this project and yes, which is, which is good. Yeah. Like we're already on the same page, at least like our hearts are all in the right place, you know? So let's, yeah. let's sit down and figure out how to make this the best it can be. Yes. So, I mean, yes. you know, not all arguments are bad, but dude, look, their chemistry is great. Like when they exchange presents, it's good. Um, and they have this really weird backstory where like, um, I guess, well, it's not a weird backstory, but it's a sad backstory where Gina Davis's character has obviously had a miscarriage. She's either had a miscarriage or they've been trying to have a child and just have not been able to. Well, I feel like it's a miscarriage because when, um, I guess it's her sister, the the realtor, <laughs> comes up yeah. and, and knocks on the door, and she she says something like, you know, this house is meant for a f- some, you know, it's a big house, it's meant for a family. And when she says that, and then she's like, oh, I'm sorry, and, you know, Gina Davis's character does get like this. She has this grimace. It's kind of like you can just look at her and see she's like downhearted. The Lydia character, uh, Winona Ryder, uh, plays when she comes in. It helps build their relationship uh, later in the movie, yeah. so you understand it. Yeah, it it definitely does, <laughs> dude. What did you what, what do you think of the uh, the dog causing <laughs> the Maitland to die? The dog, the dog, <laughs> fucking and, dog. Well, they almost hit his ass when Adam says he has to go to oh, the yeah. local hardware to- hardware store for 
I think he has to pick up some paint or yeah, he's got to pick up something for the model. Something for the model. And this is where we kind of get a little bit of that slapstick comedy, you know, with with the dog. They almost hit this dog. They run off this covered bridge, and the only thing that's holding them up is like a you know a, a two by six that this dog is standing on, <laughs> and it almost has this like. This Warner Brothers, Warner oh, yeah, Brothers, totally. like, or Looney Tunes is yes. moment where like Alec Baldwin looks out the window and he's like, no, 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 and the dog just like the biggest douchebag in the world. <laughs> he just steps right off, and then he goes and looks over at like the, the humans he murders. He's like, hey, what's up, you stupid humans? Who avoid dying this time, bitch? <laughs> so the, the Maitlands, once they're dead, they don't realize they're dead yet. They go back into their house. Uh, this is the only time in the, the film that I really caught like heaven and hell imagery or symbolism, really. After they die, you know, it fades to black, fades back up, and you get the fireplace, the fireplace lights, you get your hell imagery, uh, and then there's a shot of the door. with, And they, you know, they open it and a white light comes in, and they, they walk yeah. into their house. But, I, you know, I bring this up just because the movie does not address heaven or hell or any kind Never. of biblical afterlife at all whatsoever. Nope. There is an afterlife, and it's like this netherworld, and if you commit suicide, uh, you're in a government employee or a social worker. Or I, don't, I don't know what these people are called or what this government afterlife organization is. They don't tell you in the yeah. movie. Or if they – I don't – do they tell you? Do they drop a line of like what the name of it was? If they did, well, I this is it. the e- Well, this is the, it's just the easiest way to explain it is it's kind of like social services for the dead. Yeah, but you get like you get vouchers, Ooh. so you can only get help yeah. like X amount of times, and they have to live in the house. Like even after they die, they have to stay in the house for like what was that, one hundred and twenty some years. See, I would have made the DMV analogy, but that would have been too close to making uh, absolute <laughs> you know hell analogy. So, but it, it's it's really weird, um, you know, way to go with it. I mean, just to to throw out all heaven and hell, you know, God and devil. Yeah, it's interesting and, and, and put it in like a it's this government organization and making fun of uh, bureaucrats and red tape and and then they they when they find the book um, oh the handbook the for the book. recently deceased yeah uh, and and Alec Baldwin's character makes the comment he's like it's like reading stereo instructions <laughs> which that joke is really dated. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he does, he reads a couple, you know, when he reads a couple of passages, you know, it's like, yeah, that, that shit is not worded the greatest. <laughs> like, like, that shit is not broken down for layman's terms. I, I like how Adam, Alec, Alec Baldwin does this great character bit where he'll misread words. Like, he does it with Beetlejuice's name where he's like, oh, uh, Beetle Guys, and what, what does he call the handbook for the recently deceased? Um I forget how he reads uh, it. He reads it recently wrong. Recently diseased or something. Yeah, the recently <laughs> diseased. Recently diseased. And she's like, honey is deceased. <laughs> and then what's great is he looks at it again and then reads the title right. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's, it's cute. It's these good little moments. Uh, it's like, damn, dude, you got your glasses on, so you can't use the excuse. Well, I don't have my glasses. But it, it's good too because they're not like they're not like Gina Davis and, and Alec Baldwin. They're not they're not bickering back and forth. You know, it's you know it's it's a genuine like you know couple moment. It's good. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because they're both kind of confused and they're both trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And now earlier when I was talking about like the the script writing, 
I do think that there there's some changes in between the different versions of the script that they wrote and some things did not get really fixed. I don't know how how this happens. I don't know how like you leave certain things in on drafts. I don't or like are people not reading these and like proof checking them? I don't know how this happens. But like even in one draft this- like the original draft like Barbara's arm was supposed to be torn off in the car accident that they had instead of them drowning. Yeah. And, yep. and she was supposed to walk around with one arm. Yeah, and they even make a, a comment in the film where she's like, oh, yeah, like my arm feels cold. And there's some of these yeah. things with like Beetlejuice and how uh, Beetlejuice is set up to where in, in the film, the, the first time they, they interact with him, they, they dig up Beetlejuice. But then there's also yeah. the thing with his name, like you say his name three times and he can come out and uh, possess people and interact and call shenanigans. And then if you say his name three more times, he goes back to being trapped. It's this curse that this Beetlejuice ghost is in. You know, why did they have to dig him up the first time? And first of all, why did, when Barbara said his name three times, why did they go into the model instead of Beetlejuice coming into the house? Yeah, there are some like weird inconsistencies. And it's not like... Not like when we were talking about like gremlins, how those rules are like, you know, if you stop and think about them, they don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like this, it's like when you stop and think about it, sometimes the movie kind of breaks its own rules. Yes, it does. Definitely. It definitely does break its own rules. Like when they decide to like go in and in and out of the model, it, it that is that is inconsistent. Like you were saying, like. They go in the first time, she's saying, she says Beetlejuice three times, and they're transported inside Adam's model that he built. And they dig him up inside the model. He comes out, and then she says home three times, and they go back home. Yes. But that's never repeated ever again in the movie. And then, like, even at the end, nope. when Adam goes in the, on the model, Beetlejuice throws him at the end. And you know what I mean? At the very end of the climax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's getting married, and, like, Beetlejuice is like, whoosh, and he throws him into the model, and he gets in the truck. Why didn't he just say home three times right then and there? Yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? And I mean, like, maybe it's because Beetlejuice sent him there. I don't know. You know, I may be reading too much into it, but it's just inconsistencies in the movie's rules. Yeah, there are definitely some inconsistencies there. I mean, one of one of the biggest inconsistencies that uh, I thought of: nobody can see ghosts. You know, the only the only the only person is Winona Ryder's character. She's the only one that can see him. And it's like, well, if she's the only one that can see him, why is the handbook for the recently deceased the same way? Uh, it kind of doesn't make any sense. You can't see ghosts, but then you can see the the book, the kind of how-to book um, that the ghosts are supposed to use. <laughs> that obviously was written in the ghost them. world. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's supposed to help guide them through their, you know, the afterlife. Yeah, how are, how are the people? Well, you know, I was actually uh, reading one uh, review where somebody said something that kind of answered that. Because the Lydia yeah. character, she is able, Rinona Ryder, is a, when she moves into the house, she's able to see the Maitlands. Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. Later in the movie, everybody's able to see the book because that's right after the scene where everyone gets possessed. Yes. By the Maitlands. So that kind of opens their eyes up to this unusual activity because, you know, singing the Banana Boat song in Deo at your dinner party 
it, it's, it's a little weird. Yes. I could yes, be, I could see being yes. confused by that, but that, that is a funny scene in the movie though. It is. It is. That is a great scene. And in a kind of a messed up way, Barbara's sister kind of got what she wanted. They both did. She ends up selling the house to the couple, the aforementioned couple that she was talking about in the beginning of the movie. And um, the deets. Yeah. The, uh, the living are coming to haunt the dead. Adam and Barbara really get territorial about the house. You know, oh, yeah. Like, you know, we, this is our house. We don't want these people moving in here. So they they make this half-assed attempt to scare them out of the house. Oh, no. I mean, it's a good attempt. They just they can't be seen. So they're trying to scare these people, yeah. and it's like, you know, it's not doing any good. But I don't know, man. That's some of the best jokes in the movie. Yeah, yeah, they are. Like they when are, Gina Davis like, uh, is in the closet. <laughs> and pulls her face off. That is great, dude. <laughs> like the yeah. makeup on that is great. And then their their reaction of like, oh, my God. And you're like, what the hell? They can see him? Oh, look at this wedding dress. Oh, God. This is terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's like uh, Delia, uh, the mom, and Ortho are are just going through the house redecorating. And they're just making like, oh, it looks like L.L. Bean threw up in here. Oh, this is so crap. Yeah. <laughs> and Ortho yeah, was talking about how he used to be a chemist. Yeah, he used to be a chemist <laughs> and a hairdresser. This guy's like the jack of all trades, but master of none. <laughs> It, it, it does seem just, like he has been in like every job at the end of the movie because he says he's like a paranormal researcher at one point, a chemist. Yeah. Now he's like a hairdresser. Uh, interior. Oh yeah, he was a hairdresser. <laughs> yeah, and he's now an interior <laughs> designer. And it's just like, damn, dude. Them trying to scare him out of the house. All that stuff is cute. I even like it when they when they cut the holes in the sheet and actually try to go around. Oh yeah, that, that's <laughs> looking, great. Looking like that's ghosts great. from like you know like how kids dress in Halloween. Like, even when they're trying to, even when they actually put forth a real effort, like, they still get ignored. Her parents are weird. Like, the dad's, like, super burnout, like, uh, a real estate. Uh, what was he? I, I don't know what he was. Was he a real estate developer real estate, or was he selling condos? Real estate developer, real estate salesman, real estate investor. Some real estate New York job. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. It's not really clear, but he, he did something along those lines. And then the mom's a... Uh, Really eccentric sculptor that has really shit taste. Dog shit, ugly fucking artwork. I do like when those sculpt the her sculptures in the movie later come alive. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that is that is really cool. When the one dude is operating the crane, like he takes the wooden. I, I don't know what the hell that thing is, but it like busts through the window. Oh, it's one of her sculptures. I mean, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I'm just saying, I, I don't even know what to call it. Like I can't think of anything like a, a fucking amoeba I mean, I don't, I yeah don't or like amoeba yeah. or an insect with like a, a block attached to its butt or something i don't yeah. it's weird yeah there's no other word it's just bizarre shapes and, and like people aren't exactly fighting each other to buy her artwork oh no man her agent in the movie comes over for like a dinner party and he is like pissed dude he's like look i didn't i've never gotten any money from her He's like, I've actually lost money <laughs> fucking with you for years. That I mean, am washing my hands of you. He, yeah, he does. I mean, she is kind of crazy. But at the same time, the mom is a lot of fun, though. Because, oh, she is. Because that, that role could be played like, I could see that being the evil stepmom. But she's so eccentric in her, in her own little world. And goofy. Yeah, that 
that like she comes across no way she as could be harmless. Evil. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know? She, yeah. That may be uh, Tim Burton's way of kind of poking fun at the like New York or L.A. art scene, you know. Oh, dude, no, so he just, is just a little bit. He's he's taking shots. I like I even like it. Like he takes shot at like like you know middle America or like whatever the dream, you know, picket white picket fenced, um, yeah, two story yeah. house. Uh, suburbia America, small town life. He takes shots at that, and he's taking shots at you know the New York yuppies and the Wall Street you know art dealers of New York as well. So he's he's just going kind of all over the place, making fun of people, and it is funny. <laughs> yes, it is very funny. Like even even the dad, like Jeff, Jeffrey Jones, like trying to relax all the time. That is is so priceless to me because <laughs> like right before every time something bad happens, he's like, okay, you know, I'm I'm perfectly calm right now. I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed. Like the one, uh, what was it? It's, it's the one, there's one scene. He's He's got like the little bird nest and he's like making the little bird noises. And it's like, this guy's the, he's the, he's the gave up life in the New York, the hustle, the bustle of New York real estate to move to the country and watch fucking birds. I don't know. You get the sense that he doesn't know how to relax. Cause like, even when he opens the magazine, it's like, he's never opened a magazine before to read because all the postcards come out and he's just like, what, what the fuck is this shit? Why is stuff falling yeah. out of my book? You know, another thing is, I think it's 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 in the exact same scene where he grabs the binoculars and he's looking out the window and there's like this there's like this bird eating something off of like this post, you know, <laughs> and he's making like these weird noises, and then all of a sudden he looks to the left. He's like, "Ugly building, good parking." <laughs> it's just like, damn, dude, you're up here trying to relax and you're still thinking about doing your job. Well, I don't think that's the only thing that guy knew how to do, man. He's he's like the Wall Street version of like uh, the redneck that likes wants to spend all the time in their garage instead of spending time in the garage. This guy's like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna go spend it at work. And now that he yeah. doesn't have work anymore, it's just like, what what do I do? He doesn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> how 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 do you relax and chill? The Maitlands are very unhappy, um, you know, about the Dietz family in their house. They're friends with uh, Lydia in the movie. They befriend her, uh, but they do get frustrated and they decide to to hire Beetlejuice or I guess have an interview with him. I guess that's the first, it's not his first real scene in the movie. Cause there is that, there's that, um, real funny, real funny spot where he's on the cow. He's like, come on down and I'll bow exercise all you humans or what. I don't know what he's saying, but you know, that commercial, I'll he's chew doing. anything you want me to chew. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Come on down. I'll chew on a dog. <laughs> what the what does that mean? I'm chewing a dog. What? what? <laughs> Fuck! What the hell are you talking about, dude? Oh man, dude, look, Michael Keaton. Uh, he does make the movie for me, and when he's on screen, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy this film. Yeah, like the, the, even the first time he's meeting the the Maitlands, it's great. When he turns around, they're like, "Oh, can you be scary?" And he's like, "I don't know. What about this?" Blah. And you see, yeah. you see the back of his head and like things, like little, I get oh, insect arms or, or yeah, or little snakes, worms or snakes or some shit that come out of his, that his face kind of turns into. It's it's cute, man, and it's it is very very slapsticky and just crude. In the introduction of Beetlejuice, you also get introduced to the fact that he is a huge fucking pervert. Yeah, he likes looking up uh, women's skirts, even he in snake form. Copping, <laughs> yes. He likes copying inappropriate feels on women. Dude, right after, right after, right after they they dig him up, and he tries, he straight tries to grab her by her crotch. 
Well, they try, they like oh, was it uh, Judo, their caseworker, distracts him with a whorehouse later in the movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm feeling a little uh, anxious, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm feeling a little uh, anxious, if you know what I mean. It's been about 600 years, after all. I wonder where a guy, an everyday Joe like myself, could find a little action. Bye. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? And it's like a ghoul whorehouse. It's so ridiculous. This is done in so many movies where you have a character like this that's really obnoxious and, and annoying. Desperate. Yeah, I mean, and desperate. <laughs> I guess I think of like stuff like like Drop Dead Fred, you know. And that's done. I don't like that movie, man. That's just done very terribly. And wow, that was like that was like the dollar store Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is. You know, it's like you, know, you don't have Michael Keaton's charisma, bro. Like, I'm sorry, Phoebe Cates, you can't even nah. say that. What was that one with uh, um, Howie Mandel, where he was playing? The, he's playing with the the obnoxious kids from the Wonder Years, Fred Savage. Oh, you know the movie I'm talking about? It was on HBO like all yeah, the time I, when we were growing up. I know the movie you're talking about, but I'd be damned if I can think of the name of it. And man, yeah, and like Howie Howie Mandel's character in that film is he's like uh, he's more of a G-rated Beetlejuice, but yeah. he's still the same way. And man, it just it never worked for me even as a kid. Oh, Little Monsters. That's the name of that movie. Little Monsters. Yep, that's a yep, that is a movie, Little Monsters. And they you know, these movies had like that that kind of formula they were they were going for and I don't feel like any of them ever tapped into what Beetlejuice had. Damn sure couldn't. And the Beetlejuice character is interesting. They, they do give him a backstory like the Juno character that's uh the caseworker that's helping out the the Maitlands figure out how to scare the deets out of the home and everything. Uh, she she gives Beetlejuice a little backstory and they used to work together. And they keep throwing around the word bioexorcist, which I don't yeah. really know what that means. How do yeah. you exercise the living? Because she even makes a con- comment about um, how he wanted to become a freelance bioexorcist. And it's just like. So does that mean he was taking people's, living people's souls out of their body and putting dead people in them? Is that what was happening? Or demons or something? I mean, that's almost what it, what it would sound like, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. When they're in the netherworld, uh, you know, they're, they're, the Maitlands are looking for help. They even run across a room where there's exercise spirits and I forget what they call it, like the room of lost souls or something like that. Yeah, the room, yeah, that's the room of lost souls. It's like death for the dead. So what, what do these people die and then possess the living and then got exercised and this is where they go? You know, when they're exercised, they don't have to be a spiritual entity possessing a living being they could just be a spiritual entity possessing a house yeah or i guess i i don't even know if they have to possess anything i just you can just call on a spirit and ex- exercise it you know if, if you know their name yeah. or have their possession because because they do that little seance at the end of the movie where yeah. otho thinks he's trying to like uh get the ghost to come down and he's actually you know murdering them he's he's exercising their souls so I don't know. I, again, like the the movies rules and some, some of them are a little, some of them are a little wonky. Saturn, <laughs> Saturn. That's the that's the home world of the sand the sandworms, dude. But yeah. al- although I didn't have a problem, I guess with the sandworm yeah. world, I thought that was okay. I mean, I don't have a problem with it at all. It's just kind of like, well, if you walk out your door, you go to Saturn. 
Yeah, and they don't ever tell you why that happens. I, I mean, I guess they don't I mean, have to. It's just, but it's, it's so It's a deterrent, weird. I guess. It's a deterrent to keep them in the house. But why? Yeah, why like, why do, they have to, why do they have to serve time inside this house? Yeah, and another thing is, also, what happens if you get eaten by a sandworm? Because obviously, if we find out later on that nothing really happens to you well, if you're eaten by a sandworm. Because Beetlejuice gets eaten by that sandworm at the end? Exactly. I was watching it closely this time, and they only say his name twice at the end. So they say the three, you know, Beetlejuice comes out to play pretty much twice in the film. The first time the Maitlands yeah. release him, and the second time Lydia releases him to, to save the Maitlands. So, you know, yeah. to stop him from ortho, from exercising them. Uh, and and when, he, when he comes out again, they don't say his name three times to put him back in the, in the model or to put him back wherever he goes. I don't know what happens when you say his name three times again. Like, that's never clear. In the movie, he just gets small and goes back into the model. Again, like this is some of the reasons I have problems with the rules, but it, he's he's not put back into the curse because they didn't say his name three times. So I guess can he die if you don't say his name three times? Well, no, I mean, if that was the case, then he wouldn't be in the in the waiting room at the end. But I mean, you know, if he I mean, died, wouldn't that was the case, wouldn't he be in the the room of lost souls at the end? Uh, that's what I was. You just took the words right out of my mouth, man. <laughs> like yeah. if he if he actually died and got ate by the sandworm, but instead he ends up in like this velvet suit. Sitting in a waiting room, you know, rubbing on the knee of a of a chick that's been sliced in half, <laughs> still <laughs> being just as perverted as always. That that that's one of the, the funniest jokes, though, because the, like, the magician's yeah. the magician's assistant is totally sawed the half, and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" And it's just the bottom half; it's just the legs. He's like touching the legs, and the lady's on the yeah. half. <laughs> it seems. He's like he's like this half has all the any all the things I care about. Oh, yeah. He's like oh 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 sorry I didn't I, I didn't see the top half over here I, I apologize man yeah I, 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 didn't, I just thought this was just half a man a half a person <laughs> fucking yeah. scuzz bucket oh man it's so, even, so I mean, gross it is still great because he gets his comeuppance by the witch doctor. <laughs> <laughs> the end too, which is so great. I mean, you yeah. know, like I, I like Beetlejuice. Like and when he comes out, he, you know, he messes with the the deets. I like I like his snake, uh, the handrail. Yeah, I like his snake manifestation. I think that that's cool. That's good. And I even like the the carnival thing, even though it's it's crazy and out of the world. But when he comes out of the the model table at the end with the carnival hat and the <laughs> the strong man test, that's so with ridiculous. Jack Skellington. What? With Jack Skellington. Jack, oh, you're talking about uh, on top yeah, of the, the Jack Skellington, yeah, is on the very top of the uh, that little carnival Ferris wheel hat that he's wearing. Jack Skellington's head, if you look really close, is right at the very top of it. I don't know why his name was uh, was Beetlejuice though. You know what? I don't know the whole fucking title of this movie and how Beetlejuice is written. Dude, it's, it's, it's really strange. confusing. It's totally like if you yes. if you look on IMDb, Beetlejuice is all one word. Yes. Beetlejuice, capital B, everything else lowercase. You watch the movie, there's a space between the beetle and the juice. So there's yes. two words there. In the in the beginning, the card sequences, yes. Yeah. It's, cards, yeah. And then, yeah. of course, how they spell it in the movie, you know, it's spelled completely different from how it's spelled on the poster, how it's spelled on IMD. It's just like, what is going on with this damn title? Like, it's this whole movie. Like, there are all these little that pieces was- that are not really consistent in in terms yeah. of a whole, and either either a it was done because somewhere in one of the one of the rights or rewrites 
somebody actually spelled it Beetle Guys instead of Beetle Juice. And then, you know, they were like, eh, that's, that's pretty funny. We're going to just fuck with the audience, so let's keep it. I don't feel like these are mistakes that Burton would make later in his career, but I do think he's a little young. When Second he made movie and all. Yeah, when he made this film, and I, I think that those during those rewrites, I think he just had so much on his plate that I think a couple of things slipped by him. Because, I mean, like, you know, like, digging up Beetlejuice is cool, but if you can just make him appear by saying his name three times, why do you need to dig him up? Yeah, what's the significance in digging him up, you know? Other than the fact that it's cool. And, dude, those model sets, like, dude, when the actors are actually in the model and they're on those sets, dude, those sets are great. Like, the yeah. way the way the grass looks and they have, like, they're just big green triangles that they're walking on. <laughs> Shit, it's nothing but egg crate mattressing. Oh, that's wow. all shit is. No, it looks better than it, it is not egg crate. It's got actual points to it, dude. Egg crate mattress. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's like it, I no, I I I work around egg crate mattressing all the time. That's smooth and has rounded edges on it, bro. And yeah, and if you dude, put your foot on it, like your foot would cover like several of those. Like this is this yeah. is custom made, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's still, like I said, it, it's probably still it's the same, you know, shit that regular egg crate mattress is made. You know, it was just probably just. I mean, it's some kind of foam, but I mean, like you know, yeah. th- there was some work put yeah. into this. This was handmade shit. Oh yeah, and then when you uh, another cool thing is is when they're digging him up. If you notice, like all they're digging up is like cardboard and shit. <laughs> it's just like throwing like chunks of cardboard. Oh yeah. You, you know. can even see it like in the intersections, like of, you can see yeah. like the, the two pieces of cardboard with the, you know, like, I don't, what is that called? Like that like little styro- lattice formation. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Dude, look, Bo, Bo Welch just did a fantastic job with this. Produ- well, he always does. He, I mean, seriously, this guy, yeah. he's a fantastic production designer. This this is great, man. I look. I even like and, Tim Burton's Jallo references in the lighting in the Netherworld. Like yes, he's using yes. all the blues and the reds and the greens gels yes. on his lights. Man, it, all of this is it's beautiful, guys. I think Beetlejuice is a good example for kind of lower budget practical effects and and not make them cheese, not make them look cheesy, but actually take those those low budget practical effects. And make them look great. I mean, they, they do look cheesy, but it looks cheesy within the story. The within, realm. Yeah, within the, the, the tone of the film. Like, it's a comedy. Yeah. Like, this is allowed. Dude, they had a million dollars for all these effects. You know, even when yeah. you look at the end of the movie, like, just like all the all the stop motion that's going on here. God, man, stop motion takes forever. Like, fuck that shit. Like, I do not have patience for that. Well, man, most of those, uh, even even like the handrailing scenes, I mean, some of that is stop motion. Yeah, um, the sandworms. When the uh, artwork comes alive. <laughs> when, Delia, when Delia's artwork comes alive. Those are great. Moving I, around. I like how they animated and made those things move, man. Like, like once you see them, like, the sculptures start moving, it's like, oh, yeah, of course they would move that way. How else would they move? You know, it just, yeah. it fits. All right, man. I, I guess we're almost at the end, so I, I guess I got to ask you two questions here. One, mm. what, what do you, what do you, what do you think of the end with the marriage scene? And then after that, what do you think of this, this final wrap up that we get with, with Lydia? You know, the rest of the Deets and the Maitlands all living happily together. What, 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 what do you, what do you think of these two scenes? I mean, I enjoy. Well, I guess it would be the next to the final scene in the movie, the marriage. Where, yeah, the marriage scene where Beetlejuice kind of gets his comeuppance. I don't really understand 
the sandworm thing, if if all it takes to tame a sandworm is just smacking the piss out of it one good time, why didn't Beetlejuice Beetlejuice do this long ago? Well, I don't think I mean, that apparently, that's what it takes. I think Barbara slaps a sandworm previously in the movie, and I think that's just yes. That's just there to show you that you know she's not going to take some shit from these sandworms. I don't think that's how she yeah. tamed the damn thing. Oh, that's how she tamed it. <laughs> she was like, "Bitch, you gonna let me ride you? I'm gonna come back later on in this movie. You think about what you did. I'm coming back later on, and we're gonna go for a ride." Gina Davis you know? says, "I know how to tame the wild snake." I mean, dude, I you know, man, she she was she was she was an assassin in, in Long Kiss Goodnight. Home making mama by the day, badass assassin at night. But yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy this. I think it looks really good. Even you know, even with the 1988 effects and everything else, I think I think it looks really really good. And you know, again, Beetlejuice is the bad guy in this movie. You know, he is your antagonist. It takes him a um, long time to show up, though, to be your antagonist. Yes, it's yes. literally like yes. 40 minutes. Really, the Deets. Are the are the first antagonists that you really meet? I mean, that's who you think are they're they're the characters that set everything in motion for the film. And Beetlejuice is like this weird, you know, side character that ends up becoming the villain. And then the final scene in this movie, you know, when she's coming out of school, and and the thing is, is like the Lydia that you see at the at the in the final scene in this movie is not the Lydia you've seen the entire movie. She's she's you wearing know, lighter colored clothes now. Yeah, she's she's kind of out of goth mood. Although, is that because and, she's just in a schoolgirl uniform? It could be. It could be. <laughs> I thought about that too. She gets home and then she like immediately like oh, I need my black t shirt, my, my black jeans. Yeah. <laughs> she starts listening to like fucking typo negative and chain smoking cigarettes like the kids from South Park. Hey man, yeah. get, the, <laughs> get the nine inch nails playing, and uh, I need my. <laughs> my smoky uh, mascara <laughs> and some coffee we need we need black coffee cigarettes and goth music the Maitlands they kind of get what they they've always wanted which was their own family I mean it's it's not in a conventional way maybe the way that they would have wanted and to a certain point you know Adam and Barbara both do look at Lydia as like a daughter I think at this point in the movie at the end of it Dude, I'm not going to lie. Every time I've ever watched this movie, I always hated the fact that the parents do not come down and and share in the dance with Lydia. Because Yeah, that kind of bothered me too. She comes home and she seems like her mom and dad are now the, the Maitlands, the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. It's like Barbara and Adam are now her parents and they're fucking dead. And you know, there's even this movie, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where writers trying to commit suicide. Lydia, it, and it's 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 funny, you know, because she's she's like fucking up her suicide note. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're such a you're such a fuck up. You can fuck a suicide note up. Uh, you know, it, it, that's that's kind of funny. But like, you know, she's writing her suicide note, and she she wants to be with the dead people because she understands them better. You know, like she feels like there is a connection there, and she would rather be dead. And at the end of the movie. It just kind of feels like, yeah, she would still rather be dead because the dead people are fun and her parents are not fun 
And the only scene that they give you is like the mom comes in and, and, and tries to do a uh, she does this little gag she, where she makes a, a sculpture that looks like the snake beetle juice and shows it to the dad. and He freaks out. And it's like, yeah, OK, that's cute. That's funny. But you're not showing the parents with Lydia, you know, and it's just such a missed opportunity. And it feels like their arc as a family uni- unit at the end, because Lydia disliked her parents. And when you get to the end of the movie, it still feels like she fucking hates her parents. You know, like she still doesn't want to be with them. And it feels like that, that arc got lost and did not get completed. I don't know, man. Cause maybe, maybe it is all, well, you know, kind of like it's all's well, the ends well. Okay. Because Charles, obviously he's kind of found his niche in relaxing. No, dude, look, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right here. Look, I know you're going to make a bunch of valid points, bro. I know you are. I'm sure they're all great, but look, (laughs) we can sit here and talk about what we think happened. And I want to be shown. I want to be shown mom and dad with with the daughter. I want to, I want to be shown that the family is all right. I don't want it inferred, you know, like, fuck that. That's some bullshit. Like you made this, uh, a character trait and a plot point for this character, Lydia, you know, and it doesn't ring true at the end. And it's, I don't know. I, the, the, the movie's so fun and so on point that this is always, even the first viewing, this always felt kind of wrong to me. It yeah. just doesn't line up hundred percent. Right. I guess what I was going to say was, is, I mean, Charles gets to relax. Delia's back to making her sculpture again. She's back to doing art again, which makes her happy. And Lydia finally has, even though they're ghosts, two decent parent figures that she kind of wanted. Yeah, I know. That, that's my problem, though. The mom and dad didn't change at all. Yeah, so the, so the rift that was between <laughs> Lydia still... and, and, and Delia and Charles, like that rift is still, it was never closed. Yeah, there was no mending like, there. I mean, it would have been nice to see, you know, like even even in the part where, you know, they levitate Lydia and she's dancing to the Calypso and shake, you know, shake, all that. shake, Snora. You know, it would have been cool to, you know, if not have Charles and Julia levitate and dance with her, but at least stand there at the stairwell holding hands or something and just looking up with smiles on their face. Yeah. You like know, that would have hey. been at least some kind of closure <laughs> to that chapter. Right. Like we're parents that actually care about our kid. We're going to take two seconds from our time to do something. No, they're still self-absorbed yeah. at the end of the movie. And it's like, I don't know, I guess that's realistic, but that's not really what I want from a, a movie. You know, like these characters, I don't know if they grew any at all. I feel like the yeah, mom and dad are the same as when we met them. Except for maybe the dad scared, scared of Beetlejuice snakes. <laughs> now. Yeah, and I can see why. We come for your daughter, Chuck. All right, Paul, give us your final thoughts on Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. This movie is a, is it's really a great movie. It's one of my favorite childhood films, probably. Uh, there are inconsistencies in the story. Maybe that wouldn't be so if Tim Burton had been, you know, had a little bit more experience under his belt like say maybe this was his third or fourth or fifth movie but i feel this movie kind of came along at the right point in time and it really did escalate tim burton's career and not only escalate tim burton's career but it also helped widen rogers career and you know so many other so many other actresses actors and actresses and the movie is visually pleasing. 
it's just it's a great film i mean like i said i do have a few issues with it here and there and i do wish that there would have been a little bit more closure at the end especially you know with with the parents and lydia but uh overall it, it it's a movie that you know I, i kind of do feel like in its own macabre way it is a good-hearted story about family You know, plus it made it okay to be a goth. No, dude, no, look, no, this movie did not make it. No, th- guys, it is not okay <laughs> to be a goth. Please don't do that. Like, that's just saying, no. like, I have identity crisis. I, I want to. I mean, look, if it's your thing and that's really what you want to do, man, hey, man, rock and roll. Look, rock and roll. I'm yeah, not judging yeah. you, but everybody but else I in mean, the street's going to be judging. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, once again, you know, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole culture of of the the gothic culture kind of was around before this movie and brought that you know a little bit more to the foreground it was like yeah just because somebody dresses in black and you know they might be into Edgar Allan Poe a lot and you know they're into more of the macabre doesn't still mean that they don't wish to be loved and and you know everything else just because of the way they dress so Yeah, Beetlejuice is, is a great movie. It's probably one of my favorite Tim Burton movies next to Ed Wood. And not to say that I don't have other Tim Burton movies that I, I thoroughly enjoy. You know, it's it's a great, great movie. What would you, what would you rate it I out of 10? About that. Ooh, out of 10? 8, 8.5? I'd say 8, 8.5. Yeah, you know what, look... Uh, probably give this a seven look i mean i I like it um i do think there's some script issues and with the rewrites there are some things that are just a little bit wonky guys i like like we were talking about during during the show i don't think it's things that you're gonna really notice or get hung up on or bothered by until i don't know second third viewing you know and it's not something that i even you know i i really cared about when i was young i just enjoyed the movie and went on the ride that the movie was asking me to take I mean, it does have some issues. I'm, I'm not going to lie there, but uh, Burton, uh, his production designer, uh, uh, Bo Welch, Danny Elfman's score, you know, and the cast, I think they really elevate it. The lighting, the lighting's okay. The lighting's pretty good. I like the lighting for the most part, but, you know, we're talking cinematography. I, you know, I don't think you can shoot these sets bad. These sets are so amazing and so creative. That I don't. I don't think you can put a camera in them and and, and pick a bad bad angle. You know, I, I wasn't able to see one. Just just even in that netherworld, you know, set where they, they they walk in and there's like all these desks with skeletons, <laughs> and typewriters, and people that have hung themselves are you know like on on this rail system and they're just passing off papers while they're hanging and you know some of them are skeletons and there's even the you know the flat guy it's like you're you're working here that means you had to commit suicide how did you commit suicide by running yourself over with a car how did that happen did you jump in front of the car and get run over did you do it yourself i don't know it's interesting you know and it kind of makes it funny do i look flat on this side you know <laughs> how do i look there's no mirrors you know it, yeah, it is a weird joke I think there's a bunch of things in this movie that it's incredibly original. All my problems are are really just just story related, and all the actors do with this material is it's just incredible. Like this is this is what happens when you get really good talent involved in a film, and they're just they're saying you know there's the lines are not 
I don't think any of the lines in this movie are terrible, but they elevate this movie and just just seeing Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis interact and how they're in love with each other and then seeing them with uh, Winona Ryder at the end. Well, not at the end, but uh, throughout the movie, you know that that chemistry and that that relationship there is it's really nice. It's sweet and beautiful. The actors, Tim Burton, and the production design. It's what this is what's great about this movie here. This is why you should watch this movie. This is why the movie has has, has lasted thirty years, and I I feel like we're still going to be talking about this film, you know, thirty years later. I consider this. I know this isn't Tim Burton's first film, but this to me is the first Tim Burton movie. Yeah. The, yeah. Maybe Burton was a little bit more restricted on his freedom of uh, aesthetic choices and stuff like that when it comes to doing the the Pee Wee Herman movie. You know, that movie did have some success, so maybe the reins got taken off of him a little bit and he had a little bit more clout and a little bit more say when it comes to doing Beetlejuice. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, because, you know, Pee Wee Herman, I think that made like 40, it made around $40 million when that came out. Um, in the mid '80s, and on its budget, you know that was a good return for investment. But Beetlejuice, fifteen yeah. million dollar budget, fifteen to seventeen, from what I've read. And look, man, this this thing came in. It made like seventy seventy two million dollars in the United States. It was one of the top ten films of nineteen eighty eight. All right, I think it was actually number ten. So that tells you what a huge hit this movie was. And on its budget, like, dude, that's nothing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it also opened up the doors for Tim Burton, once again, to go on and do Batman and Batman Returns. I feel like doing both of those movies that uh, really solidified his career as a filmmaker. It, it really concreted him in as, you know, a really credible and good director. That's right. And they're fun. Look, guys, they're finally going to get this Beetlejuice 2 off the ground. If you go to IMDb, uh, you look up I, um, Tim Burton right after Dumbo, which is supposed to be coming out um, next year in 2019. Uh, his next film is listed as Beetlejuice 2. Uh, supposedly, Michael Keaton, Winona, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Winona Ryder uh, and Michael Keaton, they've, they've both gotten pretty famous here recently. Like, you know they they were huge back in the days, and they they kind of yeah. dropped off a little bit there. But you know, man, the last like fucking Michael Keaton's been knocking it out of the park for like what the last seven years. Oh, I don't yeah. know. It's like yeah. when how old's Birdman? Birdman he did Spotlight, and man, he is so good in The Founder. If you haven't seen The Founder, that's on Netflix. Yeah. Watch that <laughs> movie. But guys, I think that's gonna do it for us tonight. Uh, you guys have been listening to the Movie Crew podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us. You can do that by sending us an email to themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew, and crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, extra E at the end of the word crew, at gmail.com. You guys can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at moviecrewpod. And guys, if you could leave us a five-star rating, or any rating really, on iTunes and Stitcher, we would surely appreciate that. Helps people find out about the show. Paul, where can people follow you, sir? You can follow me at Paul R. Williams J1 on Twitter. And uh, as usual, if you guys like our uh, like our show intro, please, please, please go over to YouTube.com uh, slash Aquarius Weapon. He, amongst doing our intro for our, our podcast, he also does some or heavy metal inspired video game music as well. 
Ninja Gaiden and uh, Secret of Mana. So if you're interested in that stuff, yeah, definitely go over there and, and show that dude a lot of love. All right, guys, so that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, this is the uh, first installment in our Summer of 88 retrospective series. So, guys, look, we have June, July, and August to pick a movie for. We got everything from, like, Roger Rabbit to Rambo 3 to Deadpool. Not Deadpool, I'm sorry, The Deadpool. That's right, the fifth Dirty Harry film. Uh, we got yes. there's the blob nightmare four. We're going to put up a vote. We're going to let you guys vote on a film. Um, and if you guys want to send us an email and just say like, Hey, look, we want you to cover one of one of these movies for the summer of 88. Just make it sure it's a movie that was released over the summer of 1988. There's, there's a lot of great ones, you know, like cocktail with Tom Cruise. We could always talk about cocktail, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Paul's like, what? No, no, I'm not talking about that fucking movie, bro. I'm, I'm going to talk about, ris- I'll talk about risky business before I talk about that one. All right, guys. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to close out. We're going to play a little bit of the soundtrack for you guys. I could not pick one song to play. So we're going to do, um, we're going to do two songs. We're going to play first the main titles, track one from the Beetlejuice soundtrack um, from Mr. Danny Elfman. And then we're also going to be playing Deo, performed by Harry Balafante. And enjoy.
Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. 